So, good morning, church. Um, my name is Josh Baker. Um, I am husband to the hot blonde who sings. Um, and I've been coming here, we've been coming here now for, for about a year. Um, known Brian and been involved with, with Greenhouse for probably more like two years. Um, but, anyway, all that to say, my name is Josh. Don't judge me, I don't have a tablet, so I'm using my laptop. Um, but does anybody go to, anybody's family growing up, did you go to the same place uh, vacation every year? Anybody do that? Or just a vacation every year? Okay, yeah. And so, so my family too, we went to uh, South Carolina, we went to Myrtle Beach every year. And so what I would do is, we'd get to the place each year, and kind of my first thoughts were like, where did we stay last year? What did it look like? Who all came? What kind of things did we do? I, I started to think about what did it look last time that I was here. And uh, I kind of did the same thing w- with this message as I was preparing. So I preached here about two years ago. Um, so I started to think, what was it on that I was talking about? How did I approach it? What did that process look like? Um, and so I started to remember um, what I preached on was Ephesians 6, which basically is how the Word of God is our sword. It's how we fight the enemy's lies. And I was thinking, like, how did I approach that? What, what kind of things? What was my, the state of my heart at that time? Um, and I have to be honest with you, it was very, very different than, than how it is right now. Um, the words that I think I would describe that with were um, arrogance and a little bit of ignorance. Uh, the reason I would say arrogance is because the way that I, the way that I kind of delivered it was basically, if the Word of God says it, just believe it, and you're fine. That's it. <laughs> now, how many people know that that's not exactly how easy it is? You know, there's, there's more, uh, there's, there, there's a process to that. It, it, our feelings can sometimes get in the way of what we, of what we believe, and then the ignorance part, I would say, uh, was because at that point in my life, I had really never faced anything, never walked through anything that had challenged what I really thought about the Bible, what I really thought, uh, how much I really trusted what it said. Um, and so that leads me to today, um, I'm going to be sharing a part of my story that isn't really the most fun to talk about, and it's not the most fun to remember. Everybody, you know, have seasons of your life where you kind of wish you could erase it, or you kind of put a, kind of turn a blind eye to it, like, yeah, I just don't want to remember that. I don't want to think about that. Uh, I think we all have those. And, and so for me, that story began um, in October of 2016. Yeah, October 2016, felt the call from God to, to go to India, to, to share the gospel with those who'd never heard it, and uh, to go and to, to teach pastors, encourage them, not teach them, I'm, they're older than me, so I can't really call it that, but uh, to encourage them to continue in the work that they were doing, to continue to make disciples. Um, so about six months after that, as I prepare to go on this trip, and for anybody that has traveled abroad, especially on the mission field, you know that oftentimes you have to get medications, you have to get vaccinations. So what happens is uh, I go to my doctor, a random doctor, it's actually like a dermatology appointment. She says, yeah, if you're doing that, go to this place, and it's a travel clinic, a uh, health clinic, uh, up by Wright State. And, and so I go there, and the place that I was going, I needed anti-malaria medication. Um, so there was a couple options. They said, here's this one called doxycycline. You take it every day. And she said, but there's also one called mefloquine, and you take that once a week. The brand name for that's Larium. Don't ever take it, and I'm going to tell you why in a second. But uh, the other one's mefloquine, and you take it once a week. So automatically, I'm already thinking, okay, 
I'm, I'm down with that one. I have to, it's less chance of me forgetting. I have to take it less often. Let's do that. So, so I, start to do, I start to take this medicine, and uh, she did tell me, and I will say it wasn't a, very good, uh, wasn't a very good warning, but she did tell me, some people experience night terrors. And I was like, okay, I've never had that, so I'm good. Um, later come to find that that medicine had a black box warning on it, and I did not know that. Uh, and um, actually come to find it's been, uh, it's been banned in a lot of the militaries across the world because of the PTSD-like symptoms, uh, the angst. <laughs> the anxiety and the panic that it causes. But anyway, I take this medicine, and it's, uh, I take it for a couple weeks, and I start to experience this, this intense panic all the time. I start to, I start to, to be debilitated, and it's about two weeks before I go on this trip, and I'm thinking, what in the world's going on with me? I'm, I'm losing my mind here, and it got so bad. Uh, at one point, me and my sister, who who also struggles uh, severely with anxiety. She, we were driving around, and she's kind of trying to console me because she's walked through a lot of these things. And uh, one of them is uh, one of them's OCD that she walked through, and that's kind of what was happening with me and uh, something I was struggling with. And I remember we pulled into the garage, and I was getting out of the car, and... Because of the effects of what was happening... I couldn't even stand up. I just, I fell to the ground. I fell to the ground. Sorry. And I puked. But I fell to the ground and I vomited. And then my sister, my big sister, my big sister comes over. And she's, she's, she's holding me. Thank you. She's, she's holding me. As I'm laying here in this fetal position, a 19-year-old or 20-year-old about to about to leave in two days at this point to go to to go to India to tell people about Jesus. And so anyway, I mean, gotta get past this. Um, anyway, that's about that's about the worst the worst that it got for me, but. I couldn't couldn't walk, and I was uh, I was crippled, you might say. So, as I began to prepare for this, Brian said, "You can teach on whatever you want." And I said, "Oh, great! I'm gonna I'm." And I started planning in my mind all these things that I want to talk about. I want to talk about the just the urgency of the gospel. I want to talk about sharing sharing the gospel with the world and and all this stuff, and kind of making this pep rally. And then I felt like God started to lead me in another direction, in a in a somewhat painful direction, and I was like. I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> but in His grace, He used this to help me, to help me really face something that I needed to face and that really I had kind of written off and like I said, turned a, turned a blind eye to. So I know I'm, I know I'm taking a while here. But anyway, this, this, this thing, I, would, I wish I could say that it subsided over the course of a couple of days, but but it didn't. Um, it lasted for for weeks, lasted for months, and uh, even now, still today, I uh, I experience effects from that. What what happens is I uh, 
I'll get this ringing in my ears every so often. It's this, this very distinct kind of intense ring, and it's just a, it's just a reminder of, of, of that moment. But it used to be a reminder that was extremely painful, that was hard to think about, but now it's a reminder of, of just how God's been good in it and, and what He's done. Um, so, <laughs> done with that part. I think I'm going to be all right now. Um, <laughs> But, but anyway, so today I want to share my, my struggle with, with anxiety and what the Lord's taught me through that. And I think anxiety is uh, one of the silent um, killers. I don't want to use that word, but one of the silent plagues of the church right now. Um, it's something that nearly 20% of the U.S. population struggles with in different forms. It's not all just general anxiety. Some it's PTSD, some it's OCD, some it's it's a panic disorder. It's, it's all these things. And, and so I just want to shed some light on that today. Um, and if you're feeling that way today, if you struggle with that, I hope that today might spark a conversation to be open about that, not only with the Lord, but also with other people, because that's one of the, that's one of the first steps is being open about the fact that it's a struggle, being open about the fact that it's, uh, that it's there. And, and you can't ignore it. You can't just always pray your way out of it. Um, it's a process, and, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. But I think, first of all, we need to give a definition to what anxiety is. Anxiety, my definition is a fear of what may come. A fear of what may come. Now, that causes us, uh, when we struggle with anxiety, we begin to develop a lot of what-if, hypothetical situation. So, let's say you're somebody who struggles with situational anxiety. A lot of the times, you will, you'll think, well, what if this happens? And, and, and what if this happens? Then if this happens, then this might happen. And then you, it becomes this vicious cycle of these thoughts that you can't get out of. And that's where, where my struggle was. It was like an OCD thing. And, and for me, one of my greatest thoughts that I couldn't get past that was hard for me to think about was I felt like I'd been condemned. I felt like I was no longer acceptable to God because of these thoughts that I was having. And I couldn't get past it. I thought that the wrath of God was still on me. And so... So it causes us to have a lot of hypothetical what-ifs. Um, but before I say anything else about anxiety, I want you to know, and I want this to be an encouragement, that anxiety is something that the enemy uses as, as a means to destroy, and he means it for evil, but God uses it for good, and God, God brings you through that, and God gives you victory in that. And that's what I hope that we can, uh, we can, see, we can see today. So the text. Um, it was very quick when I, when I realized what, what road I was going down here, where God was leading me. It was very quick that I knew exactly what I needed to teach on. Um, and it was a psalm, uh, a lament that you, you might say, uh, a psalm of David that I tried to cling to in the midst of this struggle. Um, and it's Psalm 13. So if you want to right now, if you brought your Bible, Psalm, psalm 13. Um, one of the first things that I, that I want to recognize about this psalm is that it's very short. It's only six verses long. Uh, which is, I believe, tied for the third shortest psalm. There's one that's two verses, a couple that are five, some more that are six, but tied lengthwise for the, the, the third shortest psalm. And you kind of wonder, why is that? Why, why is it so short? And I can say that as somebody who's been through what I feel David's walking through right here, you don't always have the words. You don't always have... There are many words to offer up to God. Sometimes it's just short and sweet and to the point, and, and I think God's honored by that. And I think that God, that's, that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be honest and open with where we're at and not try to 
not try to sugarcoat anything and not try to, like I said, it, it, you know, we can't always pray our way out of, out of anxiety in the mix of that, that panic. Um, so I'm going to read verse 1, and then I'm going to read verse 6, which is the last verse, and we're going to kind of talk about the process that goes on and how in the world you got from verse 1 to verse 6. So verse 1 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? That's verse 1. Now, verse 6 says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, how in the world do you get from that to that? What happens here? And there's a process that happens. And, and I have, I don't know if we have it up there. Can we, can we flip that up there, the, the slide, if it's ready? There's uh, kind of three three-stage process that I feel is going on here. We're going to break it down two verses at a time. So the first two are what I call the crippled stage. Kind of think about that picture of laying on your garage floor in your vomit with your sister holding you. And then the second one is standing but shaky. And then the third stage is standing firm, which is ultimately where I believe that God wants to, wants to bring us to. Um, so back to, back to verse 1. Um, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, the first thing I want to notice about this is the tone that I think David has here. Oftentimes, and, I, and really I'm guilty of it, I just did it. When we, when we read Scripture, we read something, and I think the way that the author of whatever it is that we're reading, the way that they really intended it, the way that their heart felt in the moment, is much different than how we read it. I don't think David was saying, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? I think it was more of a, I'm on my knees crying out to God. How, how much longer? How much longer are you going to make me deal with this? Are you there? I think that's, that's more of what that's like. I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a, oh, well, poor me. I don't think it's that. And so my challenge to you is what's your tone with the Lord when you come to him in prayer? What's your tone with, with others as you share what's going on in your life? Do you try to keep that cool facade of, yeah, everything's great. Everything's good. No, I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm struggling a little, but I'm okay. Or do, do, we, do we try to put up that front or are we authentic? Um, and then the second is the posture of David in this psalm. Like I said, I don't think he's, he's sitting. I don't even think he's standing. I picture a man who is on his knees, facing the ground, praying to God to lift this burden that he's experiencing. And so I challenge you with that. What's your posture before the Lord? Is your posture a posture of, no, I'm okay, I can take whatever the world throws at me? Or is it, I'm on my knees because I can't take this. I'm, I can't do this on my own. Uh, which is it? Um, I already talked about the length of the song. Um, but really, these first two verses, they capture what the heart of anxiety is. The heart of anxiety, the definition, like I said, is a fear of what may come. First thing David says is how long. He's thinking about the future. He's thinking how much longer. What if this is something that I have to deal with for years? What if this is something that doesn't just go away? What if this is something that, that I have to continue to struggle with? What then? It's a fear of the future. And when you fear, kind of like I did, like David did, when you fear and aren't certain and sure of the fact that God is for you and with you, you start to have some crazy, crazy thoughts and you start to despair. You start to think, you start to fear the future because it's natural. If, if the Lord's not with us, if we have that, that fear, it's natural to, to fear what's coming, to fear the future. And that's kind of what David's, what David's doing here. He's being honest about where he's at. He's fearing for the future, and he's unsure of whether or not God is still for him. Anybody ever feel unsure 
or feel uncertain whether God's still for you or not, whether God is whether you're actually acceptable to God. We kind of have this idea that that God loves a past version of us better than he loves us better than he more than he loves the us right now or maybe even he loves a future version of me. He will love me when I stick to my Bible plan for a month straight. He will love me when I pray for 30 minutes every day for a month straight. He will love me when I, I, I do this good work. It's almost like we think that there's this graded spectrum that God has us on. It's like once you hit, once you hit a level 80, then you're acceptable. Then you, can, then you can really experience what God has for you. And, and that's just not the case. But like I said, there's this wrestle that goes on in our minds and we have these thoughts that can just be crazy. And anyone that struggles with more of an OCD-like like struggle. And I want to clarify too that, that OCD, the, the kind of OCD I'm talking about, isn't just the, I like to have my room clean. That's, there's a form of that, but this is the kind of OCD where you have repetitive thoughts that you have a very hard time getting out of your mind, where you can't get past them. It's just, it seems like this thought consumes you. That's kind of OCD that I'm talking about. And in verse 2, David said, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? He's, sorry, I don't know if this thing's, this thing's working right. Um, he's saying, how long will I wrestle with these thoughts? He's, it's the same thing as me. Like, I can't get past this thought. I can't get past this thought that God's not for me anymore. For other people, it's different thoughts, but it's ones that you can't get past. Now, what the Word tells us to do in scenarios like that is to take captive those thoughts is to cast those cares, is what, is what the different places of the word. First Peter 5, 7 um, says to, to cast your cares on him because he, because he cares for you. Um, but I kind of think that what that intends, what that really means is for us to cast, to cast with the realization that we no longer have any connection to what we're casting anymore. But I think what we really do is it's kind of like a fishing pole. You know when you cast a fishing pole? Yeah, you're casting something, but you know it's still connected, where if you wanted to, you could kind of reel it back in. And we have this tendency, there's this strange complex that human beings have where we can't really get rid of the things that we know we need to get rid of. We try, but we want to reel it back in. We want to, we want to cling to our fears. And, and that, kind of, that kind of leads into these, these next couple verses. But, but remember, this first stage is, is the crippled stage. It's what I call the crippled stage. It's when you just, you don't know what to do and you are consumed by these thoughts that you just can't get past. But then we jump into verses three and four, which is what I call standing but shaky. It says, verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. Anybody ever struggle with depression? Anybody struggle with depression? Light up, light up my eyes. I think, I think you kind of you know what's, what that's going after right there. Light up my eyes. When you're walking through depression, it feels like there's this dark that's closing in on you. It feels like, like David said, it feels like you're fading. It feels like the light that you could once see everything with is just leaving. It's gone. And he's, he's recognizing, God, you're the only one that can light up my eyes so that this darkness doesn't overtake me. And I think sometimes 
you know, we know that we're fading, and it's almost, I think this can become so extreme even, and, and if you struggle with, with it, depression to this extent, it can become so dark sometimes that you think that you're literally going to die. You think that physically you are going to die, you're, the world is closing in on you, and you're going to die. Lest I sleep the sleep of death, and that's why he says that. Lest I literally die. And I think, too, sometimes we're more terrified, like I said, not even of, not even of the, the things that are going on in our life right now, but we're more terrified of those what-if hypotheticals coming true. You know, we, we, even as I'm up here right now, there's the anxiety of, well, what if I forget what I'm going to say? Or, or what if I get up here and sound stupid? And, and you start to play, play out these what-ifs, and you almost you start to fear the future, a fear of what may come. You start to fear the future, and you don't even really fear what's happening right now. You fear what's going to come, and we're afraid of our, our greatest fears coming true. And that's what David's saying here. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He's admitting that he's shaking right now. But there's something subtle that he said in verse 3 that's the reason why this stage can be called standing but shaky. Verse 3, he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. He's starting to reclaim who he knows who he, who he, knows he is. He's saying, I am taking a stance against all those lies that I was believing. I'm taking a stance against the feeling that God's not there anymore. I am standing firm. Not quite there, but I'm beginning to stand firm. I'm standing up. Imagine this, and I know I'm probably going to look goofy, but anybody ever had an injury where you have to have rehab and therapy? Yes, probably tons of people, athletic injury or whatever. Or maybe even because of health issues, you're just at a point where it's, it's harder for you to walk. But it, it's kinda, I kind of imagine this man who's down here like this, who kind of needs a little bit assist, of assistance as he's trying to stand up. And as he's standing up, his legs are a little bit wobbly. His legs are, are, are shaking, but nonetheless, nonetheless, he's beginning to stand. And, he's, and the only reason he's being able to stand is because he says, Lord, my God. He's saying, even though I feel like you're not there anymore, even though I feel like I'm alone, I know that I'm not, and I know that you've been good to me. And he, and he doesn't show it in, in the text, but he's, I can imagine that he's probably remembering his history with God, that God's been faithful, that God has been there, that God's seen him through before. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to cling to who we know that God is despite what our feelings are telling us in the moment. And that's very, very difficult to do. But he's beginning to stand, to fight the temptation, to give in, to despair. The question now is, is he going to believe it? And the question for you is, are you going to believe it? You might have started to stand, but, it's, but you're not standing firm yet. Believing that God is 100% for you. Believing that God is on your side. Believing that he's going to meet you in the depths of your pit. That's a different story. And that's where we get in to verses 5 and 6, which is the third stage, which is what I would call the standing firm stage. It says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. There's something massive that happens right here. Something huge. This entire psalm hinges on one word. In your entire struggle with even if it's not anxiety, your entire, entire struggle with whatever it is, but especially anxiety, hinges on this same thing, this same concept. 
The entire psalm hinges on the word but. Like I said, David has already gotten to the point where he's admitted, God, I don't feel like you're there. I feel like you're against me. I feel like I'm not lovable. I, I question whether or not you're, you're fighting for me. He's already admitted that he's questioning that. But here he says, but. That's huge. That's huge. But I'm going to trust that, I, that you are who you are and that you're going to see me through this. And he says, I'm going to trust in your steadfast love. Steadfast love, that term can be translated. In other versions, it says loving kindness, but that can be translated literally as covenant loyalty. But I have trusted in your covenant loyalty. How many people question how loyal God is to the covenant that he made? Anybody? Yeah, it's, everybody struggles with that. But one of the things that, that the Lord kind of walked me through and helped me with and showed me is that he doesn't love us with a reluctant kind of love. He doesn't love us with a kind of one foot in, one foot out kind of love. It's, I really, and he kind of, he kind of showed this to me. It was like, what else do I need to do? What else, what farther extent could I have gone to to show you that I am for you, to show you that I am bigger than your doubts, to show you that you never have to doubt whether or not I'm fighting for you. What farther extent? When Jesus went to the cross, when he took every single step that he was taking towards Calvary, when he was hit with, with, with whips, with chains, with, when he was spat on every single step, I mean, and it was like this. If you can imagine this, if you struggle with this and you struggle whether or not God's for you, just imagine every single step with the cross. I love you. Oh, do you still love me? Do you love me even though I did this? I still love you. Well, what about that one? I still love you. And it's just that. It's just there. It is so abundantly clear that, so abundantly clear that his love isn't reluctant. Sometimes I had this idea that that God almost, in the midst of this, when I was struggling the most, that it, God almost... It was like, yeah, I guess, I guess I did tell you if you put your faith in Christ, you can be, you can be my child, so pff, come on, whatever. Instead of, like, I wanted you so bad that I came, that I died, that I let nails be driven through my hands and feet. Like, I wanted you that bad, and I still want you, and I will always want you. It's not a God who has his arms crossed with his brow like this, saying, well, I guess you can come on in. That's not, that's not what it is, but that's the, that's the struggle. That's the the, the thoughts that I, that I would wrestle with. God loves us with a perfect kind of love. And what the word says is perfect love casts out fear. We so often live and operate in such a way where, where we're living out of fear. We're living out of fear of, of what may come. Like I said, with anxiety, we're living out of a fear of, of what may come. We're living out of a fear of the fact that God's not for us. All these fears, and that's how we begin to operate and so we, it's hard to really live in the joy of the Lord. It's hard to have joy when you're operating out of that fear. But the Word says that perfect love casts out all fear. And I want to say this again. I know I keep emphasizing this same thing. But God left no questions on the table when he went to the cross. There were no more questions of whether or not you were good enough. No more questions of what do I have to be what do I have to do to be acceptable? Those were erased. It was, you can't do enough. I already did enough. This is what I did. Just receive it. Just receive it. 
but even still, we, we like to doubt. Even still, we have a hard time really, really believing that. But I want to I paint this picture here. W- what the Word says is that we are able to boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. That's what it says in, in Hebrews. We're able to boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. Now, if you have a Bible, flip with me, and I promise I'm going to be wrapping up here soon. But flip to Isaiah 6. Actually, kind of tricked it because I'm about to ask you to close your eyes. So I guess you don't have to, you don't have to flip there because you're not going to read it anyway. Um, <laughs> but I will read it. Um, but Isaiah six, it's this, it's this vision that. Oh wow, I didn't have it marked. Sorry. It's this vision that the prophet Isaiah has, where he actually sees the throne room of God. He actually sees what it, what is happening in heaven. 24-7, all day, every day. And, and this is what he says. Now, I, I know this sounds goofy, and I know we're all adults, and this sounds like a kid thing, but I want you to do it anyway. So please, please close your eyes and, and really imagine this as I, as I read this. Imagine coming into, this, coming into the presence of God in, in such a way. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You can open your eyes again. But that same God, who right now at this moment is sitting on his throne with heavenly angels, heavenly beings flying around him, covering their faces because he's so holy that they can't even look at him. That same God says, because of the blood of Jesus, you can come even closer than them. These seraphim, they are as close to the presence of God almost as you can be almost as close to the presence of God as you can be. The only people who can be closer are the people who God sets his love on who are the children of God. And he says, you get to boldly approach the throne of grace and come even closer than them, and you don't have to worry about looking on me because I see the blood of Christ. Revelation 22, verse 4, it says, when we're in glory, when we're in eternity, it says that they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. Remember what David said at the beginning? He says, how long, Lord, will you hide your face from me? When we come to that day, we will see his face. No more doubting whether or not he's for us. Not even a temptation to doubt. Imagine this. Imagine never having to take another thought captive the rest of your life. Can you imagine that? Somebody who's, somebody who's walked through some of the things that I've walked through in the midst of this, knowing that I never have to, never have to battle that anymore that his faithfulness will be 100% clear to me, and I will never doubt this incredible thought. And I think we need to encourage each other with that more often. Instead of just what you can do in the moment to make things better, let's encourage each other with the fact that one day there's not going to be any more pain, there's not going to be any more suffering. And so I think because of that, we can say with David, if we have made a decision to put our faith in Christ, we can say with David, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. 
NIV version says, because He's been good to me. We can sing that with Him. Because if we have the blood of Christ, we get to boldly approach God and we get to live in His presence forever. No more pain. I want to read that real quick to, to wrap up. Revelation 21. If you want to flip there, I'll give you a minute. Starting in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He He will dwell with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said it to me. It is done. <laughs> it is done. <laughs> I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will I have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. <laughs> That's our hope. That's our inheritance. That's what we have when we have Christ. And so I just say to you today, if you're walking through the pit of anxiety, of depression, of, of panic attacks, of any of those things, really whatever struggle, let me encourage you with the fact that one day it's going to be over. One day it's going to be gone. And you can have freedom from it here. I don't want to say that you can't have freedom from it here, but there will be a day where you never have to even think about wrestling with it again. The temptation will not ever set in, ever. There's actually a verse in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 where it says, encourage one another with these words. It's a, and it's talking about Jesus returning. And I don't think that's something that we do enough today. I don't think that's something that we do with one another. There's a word, it's an Aramaic word that the, that the early church used to, used to greet each other with, actually. And it's, the word's called Maranatha. So instead of saying, hi, how are you doing? They'd say, Maranatha, which means, come Lord Jesus. And it basically is saying to the person who you're approaching, it's saying, I, don't, I haven't talked to you yet today. I don't know what you're wrestling with today. I don't know what the struggle is, but I know that Jesus is coming back. And so before I say anything to you, I'm just going to encourage you with that. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. It's going to end one day. It's going to be done. No more struggle. So once again, I just encourage you that if you're walking through that, be open about it. Come talk to me about it. And if you don't know Christ today, if you question whether or not you know Christ today, I want you to know that God does not love and reach out in a reluctant way. God reaches out in a way that's abundantly clear. He says that if you put your faith in your trust in Christ, that His sacrifice on the cross was big enough to cover any doubt, to cover 
any sin, to cover any shame, you can come to Him today and you can boldly approach Him because of what Jesus did. And if that's a decision that you want to make today, let somebody know. Come talk to me. Come talk to somebody around you. Raise your hand if you're somebody who would love to have that conversation with someone else. There's everyone around the room. For all I know, I don't know, maybe everybody here knows Jesus, and I'm just, and I'm just saying it. But if you don't, have the confidence to, to come up to somebody and to talk to them about it. And with that, I'd like to pray. Father, I just I thank you for the fact that you make it so clear how you feel about us. You make it so clear what you're willing to do for us. Your faithfulness is so steadfast. You're so loyal to the promises that you make. And God, I just pray for the heart here that's wrestling in the midst of severe anxiety, in the midst of depression, in the midst of addiction, whatever it may be. God, that they would know that there is freedom and that they would know that there is a hope that is far deeper than any, anything that this world can provide. So God, I just pray that today you move in our hearts and as we begin to prepare to worship you again, to close out the service, I pray that we would, we would picture your throne room with the seraphim flying and the elders at your feet and you high and lifted up in your temple, in your throne room, that we would know that that's the God that we pray to, that that's the God that loves us and that that's the God that we get to serve. So Lord, move in this place today. Let your spirit pour out. In Jesus' name, amen.